A note to our listeners before we get started. This podcast contains offensive and violent content. Please be advised. Previously on Verified. So in my head, I was thinking, oh my gosh, like white supremacists are literally outside of my door. I mean, we are, we're pretty flat-footed. We have no handle on how big these groups are, on who they are. If, if, if I'm trying to understand, like, what is the next threat in the United States, your answer is to understand that I've got to look abroad. On January 5th, 2017, Lamine Bojang woke up to a clear, cloudless morning. It was freezing outside. Temperatures were dropping more than 20 degrees below zero. Lamine headed out to work at a temporary shelter for refugees in Gothenburg, Sweden. He's a Swedish citizen himself, but came over from Gambia. It was Lamine's job to sweep the floors and empty the trash. He made his way around the shelter and spotted two bags of garbage that needed to be moved to a dumpster. I took both of the bags that were outside and was going to throw them away. The one on the left was very heavy. I couldn't lift it with my left hand. And then suddenly, after jostling the heavy bag, it exploded. The explosion blew off portions of Lamine's legs and left shrapnel lodged throughout his body. I raised my hand to open the container. Then I heard a bang. And then I heard it go boom all at once. And then I'm flying. And there is people coming from all over to help me. Then I start to feel it burn. Lamine remembers being on the ground surrounded by blood. His clothes were burning. So he tore them off and tried to crawl to safety. He described what happened during a trial into the bombing. He told the court about the impact the bombing had on his life. I am not feeling well. I feel really bad. I have a lot that I think about. I think most about the future. What will it be like? I cannot walk. I cannot do anything. I have children. I cannot play with them. Lamine spent two months in the hospital after the explosion. At the time of his testimony, he'd been through a dozen operations and was still recovering. This attack wasn't the first bombing that winter in Sweden, but part of a series. And two of the attacks targeted centers for newly arrived refugees. Police would later say the three bombings were connected. The first thing that crosses your mind is that it is a more organized series of attacks. That's the prosecutor Mats Linquist talking to Swedish radio. It is bad enough that it is a series of attacks. However, if it also involves people connected to the Nordic resistance movement, that is domestic extremism, it obviously makes it extremely serious. Authorities charged and convicted three neo-Nazis for the bombings. They were all members of a neo-Nazi group in Sweden called the Nordic Resistance Movement. 
Målvalet är naturligt för en person. The choice of target is natural for a person in the white power environment. Eller finns det flera personer som har varit So our first thought was did he act alone or were there other people involved in the attack? Det var våran utgångspunkt. That was our starting point when we began looking at this investigation. An appeals court threw out the conviction for Lamine's bombing but upheld the other two and sent the three Nazis to prison. But there's one key detail that I want you to hold in your mind. At the trial, evidence and photos surfaced that showed that two of the bombers had traveled to Russia to go to training camps in St. Petersburg. There are pictures of them in camouflage, carrying long guns. The camps were teaching military tactics. That evidence not only rang out loud in the Swedish courtroom, but across the Atlantic. The US government woke up to a whole new kind of terrorism, globally networked white supremacists. I'm Natasha Del Toro, and this is Verified, the next threat. It's now the spring of 2020. We're in the middle of the corona pandemic. That's all anybody's talking about. And nearly every news story that is not about COVID seems to get buried. But on April 6th, State Department spokesperson Nathan Sales announced the U.S. government did something it had never done before in battling terrorism. Today, the State Department is designating the Russian Imperial Movement, also known as RIM, as a specially designated global terrorist. We're also designating three of RIM's leaders. Stanislav Anatoly... The Russian Imperial Movement. Now, you might not have heard of them before, but that's the group the U.S. and Swedish governments say was behind training those Swedish bombers. These designations are unprecedented. This is the first time the United States has ever designated white supremacist terrorists. When you think about who poses a terror threat to the U.S., you likely think about Islamist groups like al-Qaeda, ISIS, or al-Shabaab. So the designation of the Russian imperial movement, RIM, is a really big deal. Their ideology, white supremacy, is different than any other terrorist the U.S. has named before. And it signals a bold change in the very way the U.S. looks at threats. I want to bring back my colleague, Mark Greenblatt, who's been reporting on this issue for months now. Mark, why was the Russian imperial movement placed in this kind of violent club? For, for two primary reasons, Natasha. N- number one, they train terrorists. And, and you know, here, here's what's important um, for, for you to take away. According to the U.S. State Department, it wasn't just those Swedish bombers that they trained uh, over in Russia. Uh, but officials over at State uh, also say that RIM trained white supremacists from Germany, uh, from Poland, and, and, and even from Finland. You know, and so it's this training of terrorists uh, that gives the United States the legal justification to take this kind of extraordinary extraordinary step to to designate you as a as, as a terrorist. Uh, and, and the second reason uh, is that the U.S. says that RIM is actively trying to bring white supremacist groups from around the world together. And it plays a prominent role in trying to rally like-minded Europeans and Americans into a common front against their perceived enemies. So just to sum it up, they give weapons training to Nazi types from around the world, and then they also rally them all together. Mark, this Russian group certainly isn't the first violent white supremacist group that's caused trouble. 
why haven't groups like the KKK, Ku Klux Klan, also been given this label? Well, look, it's because the U.S. government's actually not allowed to label a domestic group as as a terrorist organization. Um, there, there are fears uh, that the government might abuse its power and, and try to ban uh, a, a domestic group that is really only exercising its First Amendment rights or one that might, let's say, be a political enemy of those who are in power. So here in the U.S., at least, uh, we can only label foreign groups as terrorists. Okay, well, I have never heard of RIM before, so what can you tell me about them? Let me, let me first focus on the imperial in the Russian imperial movement. So this, this is a video, uh, Natasha, where members of RIM's military wing are packing into St. Petersburg's uh, Peter and Paul Cathedral in order to gather around the tomb of an old Russian emperor, a guy by the name of Paul I. And they're, they're celebrating him. If you want an idea of the kind of person that they would lift up and glorify, th this is a guy who uh, is thought to have had a very erratic reign, a short one for four years. Uh, this is a guy who's very nationalistic. Uh, he prohibited foreign travel, um, access to Western music and books, even, even banned various types of dress. You know, Paul also didn't think that women uh, should have any role in, in leading Russia. And, and so it's at this gathering around Paul's tomb where members of the Russian imperial movement are gathered saying that they want to see a return to the kind of society that he uh, sort of ruled over. Yeah, I mean, history does not look kindly upon Paul I. Um, I don't understand why these people are like such big devotees of Paul. One of the major things is is quite simply his extreme devotion to the Russian Orthodox Church. You know, and you know all of these these big steps that he was taking uh, that drew you know huge criticisms from inside the military, from uh, others throughout society. In many cases, you know, this was done in order to keep Western society away from sort of you know quote unquote like poisoning the minds of the Russians with with other ideas that could grow uh, and maybe lead them away from the church. So, so these guys are, I mean, they're, Paul is their hero and they're showing up at this service to honor him and they want to return to a society that is pro-Russia, pro-Russian orthodoxy and um, taking Russian society back in time. Uh, Mark, how did RIM begin? It started in 2002 when they launched as a, a deeply nationalist group. You know, for the first decade, uh, this organization really wasn't much of an international player at all. Um, but that began to change when RIM members uh, started training up hundreds of fighters on using guns and uh, and defending themselves and fighting uh, wars and eventually sending them to the front in Ukraine in order to fight alongside pro-Russian forces uh, who were, you know, fighting the opposition, groups that the West supported. Uh, but by a late 2015, RIM really begins to more actively reach out to, to much more radical groups. They organized a conference of extremists and fascists and neo-Nazis from all over Europe uh, and around the world, including even the United States. Uh, and one of the groups watching and publicized the conference on its website was, was the Swedish Nordic resistance movement. 
the Nordic resistance movement. And that's that's the group that we were just talking about, whose members went to Russia and trained at the military camp, at RIMS camp, and then bombed refugee centers. Yeah, those guys, you know, really did not like immigrants at all. Uh, they think they're polluting Swedish society. Super important. We don't know uh, that uh, RIM had knowledge that those attacks would take place, but they did provide the training to people that they knew were neo-Nazis and radicalized. In other words, I'm going to sum up what you're saying here. The Russian imperial movement has become this global connector in the world of white supremacy. So, Mark, if they're such a big global connector, what if we tried to connect with them? Dear Mr. Vorobiev, I'm working on a long-form investigative project where we hope to produce a long-form podcast and a series of reports that help our audience understand the most complete perspective possible about groups with nationalist and also global ties. It's a Saturday night, February 2021, about three minutes past midnight. Mark is having a glass of wine and typing up this email to Stanislav Vorobiev. That's the leader of the Russian imperial movement. And I'd like to hear more about your hopes and plans looking ahead. While this note is a bit of a shot in the dark, I hope very much you'll write back and share your perspective. This is what investigative journalists think is fun. This is what, what's fun to do on the weekend. Yeah, this, this is my Saturday night. You know, maybe about a week later, I remember getting the email in my inbox. You know, and he basically said, I, I'm interested in talking with you. You know, you know, he's a terrorist in the United States, but, but he says in Russia, he's not. Here's an English interpreter reading what he wrote. Dear Mark, our organization is legal and open to communication. However, it is difficult for me to answer your questions in writing as it will take a long time. Optimally, we should communicate by telephone. I am ready to answer all your questions and I am available in WhatsApp. Yours faithfully, Stanislav Vorobyov. And then he, he actually gave me his phone number. <laughs> so you called him. So you called the leader of this terrorist organization in Russia. He agreed to a video call. So Mark, you've told me so much about your family history now and and that you're going to about to call somebody who helps organize neo-Nazis. I can only imagine that that would make you feel a little nervous. Uh, were, were you nervous about that? I mean, I, I was very nervous, you know, given, you know, I mean, look, my, my mom's family fled Russia and the persecution of Jews there. And my own father, well, he survived the Holocaust, but, but the Nazis murdered m most of the family uh, that I have on his side. So, so, yeah, you know, going into a conversation with a guy who's actively working to connect white supremacists, yeah, I was uncomfortable. Good morning. Dobre. Thank you for joining us. I'm sorry about the technical problems to connect. He was sitting there, drinking a cup of coffee, looking very serious. Stanislav, the United States government has said you are a terrorist organization. What do you say? The American government has no proof whatsoever of our so-called terrorist activities. 
we as a religious organization are fundamentally against terroristic activities and acts. So I asked Stanislav about those Swedish bombers. <laughs> the Russian imperial movement has no relation whatsoever with those two people. We never met them, we never trained them, and I personally do not know them. So Stanislav denies that he had anything to do with training the Swedish bombers. But he doesn't deny running training camps. That's next. What is this? I'm looking at... Okay, so I'm watching a video of some guys. They look like they're in some... Oh, my gosh. Okay. I thought initially that maybe they were, like, deer hunting, but it looks like they're actually in some sort of combat, urban warfare situation. There are these guys sort of running through the snow with automatic rifles, and they're shouting out, orders um and they're wearing like camouflage clothing uh, mark what's what am i looking at here well it's look this is a, a commercial uh, a, actually for uh, the russian imperial movement's paramilitary training camp uh, it's a camp that they call partisan and this video uh that that we're watching here was was posted by partisan on a Russian social media channel, which is uh, sort of like a Facebook in Russia. Uh, they posted this one back in 2019. This is really showing off the higher level military style training that, that you would get uh, if you come to uh, their training camp. That's, um, I had no idea that these kinds of camps existed. It's pretty, it's pretty scary. Guys, guns, and heavy metal music. That seems to be like its own genre. So in the video you just showed me, we see a bunch of guys with guns. They look like they're some sort of like target practice, you know, gun range. And they're shooting at objects and wielding their guns. And there's heavy metal music playing in the background. The training camp in their video makes makes gives a, gives a decent amount of space to, to showing you uh, that they will teach uh, people teach you how to actually make uh, your own ammunition uh, and you know you can learn to make deadlier ammunition uh, ammunition that uh, explodes with more lethal force. Who attends this camp? But anyone's invited. Uh, you or I uh, could attend, but the people that end up going uh, are. Um, according to the U.S. State Department, ex extremists uh, from Europe uh, who uh, may not on their own uh, have military training in how to kill, uh, but may want those skills. And, it, and in fact, the you know Stanislav Vorobiev, the leader of the Russian Imperial Movement, which operates these camps, you know he 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 not only told me that these camps remain open today. Uh, for business, but he says that they're extremely affordable, much much more affordable than uh, you could get in, in, in other countries. Uh, just you know, just really bragging about how cheap they are uh, if if you want to attend. How much would it cost me to go through your training today? How much would it, if I wanted to come through it? What would it cost me? 
Our prices are not high. In the United States, they could be higher, a thousand dollars or a few thousand dollars. In our case, it is five hundred dollars. It's enough for training. For a week of training, five hundred dollars. What would I learn if I came? You will learn how to shoot using a firearm. You will go to the shooting range to undergo firearm training. Medical training is also part of the course as well as tactical training. But meals, lodging and ammunition is separate. People of any persuasion could take part in it and there's just one requirement. You need to be mentally normal. So he'd train just about anyone. I brought up those Swedish bombers again. Do you not have an obligation to be a little bit more careful about not training Nazis who might pick up guns or want to make bombs who are already showing that they might be radicalized? If they underwent training in explosives, then they wouldn't make up the childish devices they were using. They would make real explosives, real mines. This is the evidence of the fact that they did not receive explosives training at our facilities, since the device that they made is a toy. So Stanislav denies that Rim trained the Swedes. What do we know about that? Well, we, we took a real close look at this and at the evidence that was from the Swedish security services and presented at the trial of, of these Swedish bombers. Uh, you know, and, and that evidence includes photos of, of two of these uh, Nordic resistance movement members training with partisan. You know, uh, it has the evidence has passports with travel visas to Russia uh, from before the bombings. And it also, they also have phone numbers for contacts. Uh, that these guys had with Partizan. They even have hotel information about where they stayed when they traveled to St. Petersburg. So there's just quite a bit of evidence that, that they uh, really went there and uh, really underwent the training. So, so what's Stanislav's background? I mean, how did he become the leader of this movement? Well, he brings um, a, a lot of dimensions to the table, uh, you know, more than just uh, knowledge about explosives uh, and guns. Uh, so, you know, uh, he is, uh, no surprise, a deeply religious guy. But he's also, you know, I mean, he's, he's very educated. He graduated from the same law school as Vladimir Putin. Uh, and um, he used to be a government prosecutor for a time. Is still, in fact, a practicing lawyer today. And he tells me that that's how he pays his bills when he's not running the Russian imperial movement. You know, but but look, I mean, Stanislav and, and other top Russian imperial movement figures um, – I should tell you, Natasha, I mean, they, they certainly did learn about explosives and fighting, um, you know, uh, not when they were walking around on the streets, but because they served in the Russian military. You know, for Stanislav, that, that came as the Cold War with the United States was winding down. Uh, and he's kept some souvenirs uh, from that time and, he, and that he showed to us. Uh, you have to understand that I'm a military-trained guy, dangerous guy. See here, this is a picture from my past. Here, this is me when I was young, the one on the right, with Kalashnikov rifle. I know you, you know, you said it with a smile, uh, you're a dangerous guy. Are, are you serious? Are, are you a dangerous guy? 
Not at all. Not at all. I'm not a dangerous guy. I'm a religious individual, and those who are religious cannot commit evil because they are afraid not of the people, but afraid of a creator. But one thing Stanislav does seem to fear is anyone in Russia hearing anything in Russian that's talking positively about any other religions besides his own, Russian Christian Orthodoxy. And he wants the state to play a key role here and help keep different religions in their own lane by banning any positive mentions about those other religions from appearing in mainstream Russian media or culture. Would would, would the ban be on on all forms of, 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 of positively portraying other religions or just in state-sponsored television. Propaganda of religious values is allowed only using the language of the people who are proponents of the religion in question. If it's a performance that is promoting the values of Judaism, for example, or the Talmud, it should be in Yiddish. Or if it's propagating Islam values, then it should be using the Arab or Tatar language, or another language that is spoken by the people who are proponents of that religion. But not in Russian, under any circumstances. RIM continues to work inside Russia, but Natasha, it's the group's training and outreach to white supremacists around the world that got the organization and its leaders labeled as terrorists. Still, that doesn't seem to be holding Stanislav back. Are there people that you're still connected to right now that are trying to help learn from you or you learn from them in the U.S.? I believe it's a secret. (laughs) You won't say. No. Why not? The thing is, we are designated as terrorists. Therefore, any contact with us by any American political organization would create problems for this organization. Right? Isn't that logical? Is it, is it fair to say that you're still connected with Americans in the U.S. who are like-minded in one way, shape, or another? Yes, you can say so. And is that ongoing? Does it go through? Are, are you able to talk through intermediaries or or do you talk directly with them? <laughs> are you working for the CIA? I'm, I can assure you I'm not. Wait, Mark, did he just admit that he's talking to Americans? He did, Natasha. And, you know, these conversations are part of something much bigger in his mind. It's a it's really a new fully international movement and a network that he is actively building and is really focused on right now. It's something he calls the last crusade. The last crusade is an international project and it has no relation to internal matters of Russia. This is our international response to our international enemies. The essence of this project is to unite non-Russian national organizations. We have something in common. Specifically, we want to preserve our history, our traditions, and our national state. So what Stanislav's essentially saying here is that he wants white Christian nationalists everywhere to unite because he says they're they're under assault around the world from multicultural forces and you know those entities that are promoting freedom of religion 
like most Western democracies do. Now, now listen, by the way, listen to this social media post uh, in Russia that Stanislav wrote. Here's a translator reading it. Today, the Islamic occupation and the destruction of the Christian foundations of society equally gravitate over us as Christians. We are obliged to give all this a worthy rebuff. Otherwise, death. The Russian imperial movement, this little-known group that was founded to push for a white Christian Russia, is now going global and finding new recruits who have some dangerous friends. We don't need our white supremacists in Europe, in the United States, Canada, whatever, Western white supremacists hooking up with a regime that is vehemently anti-Western. That's next time on Verified. There's so much more for you to discover about this story and what's coming up on the show. You can find us on Twitter at Verpod. We're also on Instagram and Facebook if you just search for Verified Pod. And if you have a story to tell us, send a voicemail or an email to verified at scripts.com. That's verified at scripps.com. If you like the show and believe in this kind of storytelling, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people discover Verified. I'm your host, Natasha Del Toro. This is Verified. Thanks for listening. Thank you.